Hello, friends. This is Lisa Colon-Delay, and you are listening to Spark My Muse, Soul School Lesson 296, Where is God in the Genocide? Today, I'm going to be looking at a review of a book. I'm going to read part of this article. The article is actually by Michael D. O'Neill. He teaches Christian thought and history, and he's the director of postgraduate studies at Voss Seminary in Western Australia. And the book he is reviewing is called The Doors of the Sea. This book is by David Bentley Hart, who is an Orthodox Christian, comes from an Anglican background. He's an American a theologian, philosopher, and a writer. In this particular article, and what I'm going to try to bring to light, is the providence of God and some misunderstandings about the providence of God. He wrote this because a lot of people ask these kinds of questions. How can a good and powerful God let something like that happen? Or what do we think of God's sovereignty when something like that happens? And many other questions pop up. And some of these same kinds of questions pop up when things like genocide and disease, famine, and wars rage on. And it seems that evil is winning. And we might feel very helpless with that. David Bentley Hart His insights have been really profound to me lately, so I wanted to bring this to you. I'll be reading from the second page of this article. Of course, I will have links to all these for you to read, links to the book called The Doors to the Sea, and plenty of other gems I hope to share with you. All those will be available at part two. Part two of this audio found at sparkmymuse.com for this episode, SSL 296. Go find that there. And if you can contribute to help me finance this podcast, I deeply appreciate it, whether that's a one-time gift or coming on monthly anywhere from a dollar to a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, whatever you got. <laughs> Let's read here. Michael writes, Enlightenment has also played a role, desacralizing nature, making it simply a thing or a fact. For modern theists or deists, creation is that of an absent God. For atheists, it is not creation at all, but an entirely natural system of cause and effect. For both camps, the idea of impersonal causation is central. Quote, to put the matter starkly, nature is a cycle of sacrifice, and religion has often been no more than an attempt to reconcile us to this reality. But Hart rejects this view. Seeing instead creation as imbued in every particle of its being with glory, love, and beauty of God. God is love, says 1 John 4.16, and the one that dwells in love dwells in God and God in Jesus. The Christian metaphysical tradition in both the Orthodox East and the Catholic West asserts that God is not only good, but goodness itself not only true or beautiful, but infinite truth and beauty, that all the transcendental perfections are one in God, who is the source and the end of all things, the infinite wellspring of all being. Thus, everything that comes from God must be good and true and beautiful. As God is the sole source of being, as God is being itself, it is transcendent plentitude, beyond all finite being. Everything that is, insofar as it is, is entirely worthy of love, 
And it is this love and goodness of God that the Christian is bidden to find in the entirety of the created order. Michael writes again, yet there is also duality in creation, an alternate kingdom, vision, and experience, and both sides of this duality are real. The created sphere has been gifted a genuine, though contingent, autonomy, which humanity has used in opposition to God, and thereby has given itself and the physical order into the hand of another master. Hart is unapologetic in his appeal to the New Testament as the foundation of this somewhat mythological worldview. Yet before, alongside, within, and beyond this broken history into which we have fallen is a, quote, contrary history that pervades and will finally overwhelm this world of our fallenness. Hart writes, The Christian should see two realities at once, one world, as it were, within another. The one world, as we all know it, in all its beauty and terror, grandeur and dreariness, delight and anguish, and the other in its first and ultimate truth. Not simply, quote, nature, but creation, an endless sea of glory, radiant with the beauty of God in every part, innocent of all violence. To see in this way is to rejoice and mourn at once, to regard the world as a mirror of infinite beauty, but as glimpsed through a veil of death. It is to see creation in chains, but beautiful as in the beginning of days. Michael writes, God's glory is the kind of parallel world, hidden and yet present, accompanying this world, but not born from its ructions and sufferings. Rather, God has come into this world of death for the purpose of conquest and victory. This is the gospel. And in a radical triumphalism, a conviction that the will of God cannot ultimately be defeated and that the victory over evil and death has already been won. And I would add that it isn't, in my opinion, for the purpose of conquest and victory, but for the purpose of reconciliation and redemption. Michael goes on to say, evil itself has no ultimate value or spiritual meaning at all. It is privatio boni, a privation of the good. Hart asserts it is a child of the will, a turning of the hearts and minds of rational creatures away from the light of God back toward the nothingness from which all things are called, a kind of ontological wasting disease. Born of nothingness, seated in the rational will that unites material and spiritual creation. It breeds a contagion of nothingness throughout the created order. Death works its ruin in all things. All minds are darkened, all desires invaded by selfishness, weakness, rapacity, and the libido dominandi, the lust to dominate, and thus tend away from the beauty of God and dwelling God's creatures and toward the deformity of non-being, says Hart. Michael says, Evil has not come from God, nor is it used by God for the fulfillment of God's purposes. Quote, it has no contribution to make. Divine providence, therefore, is not divine causation. The reduction of God to one almighty act of willing that fails to distinguish between what God wills and what God permits. Heart makes much of this distinction, arguing that God permits that which God does not will, that the integrity of the world in its limited sphere of freedom 
might be maintained. Providence, therefore, is not a universal teleology. Rather, providence maintains the integrity of the world and also saves the world by judging its evil. To reduce providence to an abstract omnicausality is to render God indistinguishable from the world, sin, and the devil. Hart writes, We are to be guided by the full character of what is revealed of God in Christ. For after all, if it is from Christ that we are to learn how God relates to God's self, to sin, suffering, evil, and death, it would seem that God provides us little evidence of anything other than a regal, relentless, and miraculous enmity. Sin, God forgives. Suffering, God heals. Evil, God casts out. Death, God conquers. Absolutely nowhere does Christ act as if any of these things are part of the eternal work or purposes of God. God may permit evil to have a history of its own so as not to despoil creatures of their destiny of free union with God in love. But God is not the sole and irresistible agency shaping that history according to eternal arbitrary decrees. Michael writes, Ultimately, then, the origin of suffering and evil is a mystery grounded in created freedom and in, quote, another time, unquote, inaccessible to us. It is a surd within the created order and utterly alien to the being, purposes, and will of God. And I'm going to stop right here for a second because I had to look up the word surd, which is S-U-R-D, is a mathematical term that has to do with an irrational number. I'm going to look that up, add that definition to the show notes, and make us absolutely sure what that is. Going on, thus Hart's theological version is one of an infinite beauty and infinite goodness of God, a beauty and goodness so all-encompassing it is utterly impossible that God could do evil or even make use of evil in the pursuit of God's will. It is on account of this vision of God that Hart rejects all attempts at theodicy, which endeavor to make sense of evil or find a place and purpose for it in the overarching purposes of God. Evil remains evil, so that we are permitted to hate it with a perfect hatred. Hart says, There is, of course, some comfort to be derived from the thought that everything that occurs at the level of secondary causality in nature or history is governed not only by a transcendent providence, but by a universal teleology that makes every instance of pain and loss an indispensable moment in a grand scheme whose ultimate synthesis will justify all things. But one should consider the price at which that comfort is purchased. It requires us to believe and love a God whose good ends will be realized not only in spite, but entirely by way of every cruelty, every fortuitous misery, every catastrophe, every betrayal, every sin the world has ever known. It requires us to believe in the eternal spiritual necessity of a child dying an agonizing death from diphtheria, of a young mother ravaged by cancer, of tens of thousands of Asians swallowed in an instant by the sea, of millions murdered in death camps and gulags and forced famines and so on. 
It is a strange thing indeed to seek peace in a universe rendered morally intelligible at the cost of a God rendered morally loathsome. No, God is utterly good and goodness itself. God's work in Christ is a work of judgment and victory, and God's eschatological revelation will be the same. What happens at the end? God will not bring every event in history into one, quote, great synthesis, but will judge much of history false and damnable, and will shake off the fetters in which creation languishes, says Hart. He will wipe every tear from our eyes and make all things new. That's all I'll read from the article. Some of this language was kind of college-level article language, but hopefully you can understand the basic contention that God is good and goodness itself, and there is no evil in God's plan, nor does God include evil in the great scheme of bringing all things to good in the end. Evil that God permits has to do with something outside in another time that is inaccessible to us. And it is helpful, perhaps, to listen to this again or to read the article for yourself a few times as it sinks in. I think that this is a very logical, sturdy argument about the goodness of God in how we see providence and how we see suffering and how we can understand that we are to be good like God and in God there is only good. And that is the only kind of God worth worshiping. If someone has tried to tell you differently, I would give up that God and I would give up on someone trying to tell me otherwise. Many times we misunderstand God's providence if God's providence is told to us in ways that imagine him to be cruel or to abide by suffering. And I think that's because people impose their own qualities onto God and describe them back to us, putting their own character on God's, which is only good and which is goodness itself. I hope this podcast made a difference for you. I hope that the article was helpful. It certainly was for me, and that's why I wanted to share it with you so much. Make sure you check out the companion piece, which will be additionally helpful. Feel free to stop by Spark My Muse, check out other podcasts, donate if you can. I deeply appreciate that. And come back next Wednesday for another episode. I wish you blessing and peace until we meet again. <music>